Hi, I'm Peter Martin from Purple Martin Games, general designer on Level Up, and you're listening to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. This week, Morris and Jessica talk about licensed RPGs from a publisher's perspective. In the news, a new Dungeons & Dragons documentary from Joe Manganiello is coming, Assassin's Creed is coming to tabletops, Paranoia Perfect Edition is coming soon, and more, plus the awfully cheerful question and a brand new sketch about the difficulties with finding a proper steed. This week on Morse's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. Oh, you came back again. I'd ask why, but I, I just don't care. Today's podcast is sponsored by Grimlick's Animal Avatars and Familiars for personages of a magical or sorcerous persuasion. Wow, they really picked a name that rolls off the tongue. Grimlick's stocks creatures of all sizes, from magical cockroaches, enchanted boa constrictors, all the way through to medium-sized cats and trick bears. All of these familiars are perfectly suited for enhancing the image of... Honestly, familiars are so last century. I've been using the Scrybone 8 Plus for a year now, and I'm very happy with it. What? Oh, go to Grimlick's Animal Avatars and Familiars if you want a ridiculous and glorified pet. All the tabletop role-playing news. We aim to amuse and we aim to enthuse. And Morris is unofficial tabletop RPG Hello, 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 and welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. I am Russ, aka Morris, or Morris, aka Russ, and with me this week is... It's me, Jessica, from EN Publishing, but I'm missing my hype person, Peter, who is normally here with something interesting to say about me, but... Do you want me to think of something interesting to say about you? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Should we skip that? Let's skip that, Russ. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I'm back. So I was away last week. Uh, yeah, so Peter you were in did. Spain. I was in we a did, Spain. We, we will not disclose which Spain you were in, but you were in a Spain. Yes, I was. But this week, because uh, Peter had to do the podcast just with you, Russ, we thought we'd mm. give them a break and I'd, you know, take the wheel. Yeah. Yeah. It's time for the awfully cheerful question. If you have a question, tag us on the socials with hashtag awfully cheerful question or email us at morrispodcast at gmail.com. If we answer it, we'll send you a free book. A free book? We're far too generous. That's what I say. Russ, do we have an awfully cheerful question this week? Oh uh, yeah, we got one from Jason Lassard. Thank you, Jason. And Jason would like to know, is a successful Kickstarter a proper gauge of how good an RPG is? Or are the sales upon release more of an indication, as this is then based upon reviews by actual players, not paid for reviewers? So is that a successful RPG or a good RPG, did he say? He says a good RPG. Well, the first thing I'm going to say is that how well a Kickstarter does, and even how well a game sells, is not necessarily an indication whether or not it's a good RPG. As in, it's not necessarily an indicator of it's going to be a game you sit down and enjoy. Because there are so... a good indicator of how well you've marketed your RPG. Yeah. Or... And what your marketing budget is. Well, yeah, what your marketing budget... And also if it's just picked up at at the time. Because certain mm. things trend 
And yeah, some things are just luck, aren't Some things, they? Some are, things just, are just luck with things like that. And there are so many hidden gems in the games industry. So I'd say just because a game didn't do well at Kickstarter or just because it's a smaller indie game doesn't mean it's it's not going to be well, good. Well, there's a phenomenon that people talk about, which a game does really well at Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. They sell thousands of copies on the Kickstarter and then it's yeah. never heard from again. Yeah. And you never see anybody playing it mm-hmm. and it's not in shops and yeah. it's not supported. So that's a thing that happens sometimes, and people people have complained about that. But I think this links into another question that we got, okay. which is kind of tangential. Okay. But this is from Kevin Cole, and okay. I, I kind I think it sort of links in. Okay. He asks uh, people buy licensed RPGs. Mm-hmm. Uh, look at the Avatar: The Last Airbender Kickstarter. But do people play licensed RPGs, and what makes a license worth pursuing for a publisher? So that end bit is a separate question. But the first half of it, mm-hmm. people. Buying something being a big popular event mm-hmm. like a Kickstarter, and Kickstarter tends to tends to do that. Yeah, yeah. Or a new license, and mm-hmm. it's a big oh, it's Transformers, wow, or something like that. It's kind of like an event, and you can get a great big spike in sales at that time, whether it's yeah. the Kickstarter or whether it's the license or whether it's both at the same time. So the question being is, after that spike, what happens then? However, that spike is caused. So it's like, talking of licensed RPGs here, do people play licensed RPGs? I mean, I can't answer the question. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I can't speak for the world. People buy I, them, though. People definitely buy them. But the thing is, in the RPG industry, there's there's two different hobbies. There's people that collect RPG books, and there's people that play them. That is true. And I've got a lot of RPG books that I've bought just to read, and I've never played, and probably never will. Exactly. Like I've got the One Ring, uh, mm. a licensed RPG for Lord of the Rings, and I've not actually played it yet. I probably will play it at some point, but... But I think like many, many of us, there's games on your shelf that you have every intention of playing one day, yeah. but will likely never get around to doing so. Exactly. So yeah. I, I imagine a lot of licensed RPGs get that. And like I think exactly what you say, a Kickstarter creates the hype around it. And also, if it's a license you love and have some connection with, you kind of want to support it. Because you're like, yeah, you're a cool person making a cool thing I like, I have some money. Yeah. But also, an RPG book, a nice big hardcover RPG book, isn't just a game. It's also kind of a coffee table book about that subject you love. Well, it's the background mm. of all my video stuff. Uh, yeah. Check out This Week in Tabletop RPG if you want to have a look at it, or not D&D. <laughs> you can see all my books and games are there. So it's kind of like decor in a way as well. Yeah, but you can sit there and you get a Star Trek one, for example. You can just sit mm. there and read about Cardassians or something like yeah. that. And that is of interest to you because you like Star Trek. Yeah. Even if you're not necessarily buying it to play the game, it still it still serves that function as well. It's a it's a guidebook to the world, I guess, the universe, the IP. I I think people do. I think people definitely do play them because if you go onto Reddit or other or an EM World forums, you can see the different people talking about the game and they're asking specific mm. questions that you'd only discover when you're playing. It yeah. depends on the game, I guess. I mean, yeah. uh, Star Trek Adventures is definitely played. That I know. I've my seen yeah, my friends, my gaming group play it. Yeah. yeah, that's definitely definitely played. Avatar: The Last Airbender. No idea. Couldn't tell you one way or the other. It's not. It's not something I'm kind of like. Uh, but the thing with Avatar: The Last Airbender, that mm-hmm. particular Kickstarter, a lot of the backers, I suspect, were Avatar fans rather than RPG fans. Maybe it was their gateway. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But I suspect for a lot of them, it will be a collector's item or something just to browse through and go. Oh, this is cool. Yeah, maybe. So the answer to the question is we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> we have absolutely no idea. But um, I think there is definitely a phenomenon of things doing really well on Kickstarter and then that's just kind of it. That that can also be a business thing, though, because if you are 
an RPG creator, you're good at writing and creating games. That's that's what you do. You do that and then you have a good Kickstarter because maybe you hired some marketing people or you're quite good at that as well. But then actually the business side of it, of getting your book into stores and into distribution and managing an online store is a whole different thing. Yeah, it's difficult. Well, that's that's why we have different people at EM Publishing that do different bits and pieces of that. Mm-hmm. Like, And even with us, with Level Up, like they're in the stores in the UK and things like that. But it was, you know, it's not an easy thing. You've got to, it's, it's, it's hard. hard. It's hard getting a, a US distributor to pick the phone up, isn't it? Oh it's my goodness. difficult to get them to reply to. Maybe it. it's just me. Maybe they don't want to talk to me. But, uh, <laughs> small, but small publisher in the UK, you just, yeah. it's just hard to get So attention. I think that's why a lot of them do that as well. Cause, and also it's not clear, there's not a clear route in. So distributors mm. in the US and UK and Europe, they don't make it easy for you to contact them. And they no. they generally, it's a very don't call us, we'll call you sort of situation. Mm. And even though and, then they, and they don't call you. <laughs> and then they don't call me. No. And then, and you have like, like gaming stores contacting us directly being like, hey, we want to stock your stuff. Uh, can I get it through a distributor? And we're like, we'd love that, but they don't. You can get it straight yeah. from me though. And obviously yeah. getting it straight from the publisher is, is slower and there's more admin and stuff. But I yeah. think that's why a lot of big Kickstarters do, get, you know, do so well and then you don't see as much is because kickstarters lowered the barrier for entry so you've got people that aren't big business people bypass the distribution yeah. system yeah so that's that's probably why but that's that's why in publishing we do regular kickstarters we do some every month we we do them because it's a really good way of getting our games kind of out there so we don't have to go via the usual distribution network mm. Well, there we go. I hope we answered that question. We will be sending a free copy of the awfully cheerful engine to jason lazard and to kevin i yeah. think kevin already has one actually He's one of the playtesters of the game, but I'll send him one. Well, we can ask Kevin and see if they don't. If they already have issue one, maybe we can send them a different issue number. Yeah, possibly, possibly. Yeah. Right then, let's get on to the news. Okay, because let's do is, the news. There is some news this week. There is news. There's. I've noticed there's a lot of news about video games that are linked video to, to video games, <laughs> digital video games, games you say? on your computer that you may play, or your uh, Y box, for example. So. There's a company which is called Took Ga- Tuk Games T U Q U E T U Q U E Yeah Took Games Tuk. Anyway them Took Anyway what they're called They They developed Dungeons and Dragons Dark Alliance game Dark Alliance and Wizards of the Coast have acquired them and they will now be known as Invoke Studios. I think they acquired them quite a while back actually. Yeah, it was in twenty it was in twenty nineteen. Yeah. Twenty nineteen. but so they're but they're changing their name to Invoke Studios, which is mm-hmm. kind of the new thing. And also the studio so they they're gonna they said they're gonna be working independently, so they're gonna be an independent studio still, so they're not like being supervised or changed by them. So we'll see if that continues to be true. But the reason I'm talking about it as well is because they are working on a game derived from Dungeons and Dragons. When you say derived from I have no further information. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I know. Uh, so they haven't released any information about the game. They haven't even released told it about its release date. But they have a press release that says that the studio has 80 employees and they're looking to expand uh, to 200 over the next few years by 2025. Is that a lot for a video game or not? I don't know. I don't, um, I I think don't it's know quite, anything about Well, they're expanding games. their team by more than double. So they're planning to more than double their current capacity. Okay. Um, so actually, if you work in that industry and would like to work on it, you can apply because on their website, um, they're based in Montreal uh, in 
Canadia. Mm-hmm. So you could you could apply to work a there. Canadia. We won't say which. The one. Uh, just spoilers. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm imagining it's going to release around 2025, 2026 sort of time, the game. Uh, but we don't have any more details yet, but I'm sure over the years we'll get some information as there's more I will look forward to that on. with anticipation. Okay, Rocky Horror. Um, <laughs> okay, but um, yeah, so it's derived from Dungeons and Dragons. So I, I wonder if this, because this is different from the tabletop simulator they're also working on. Mm. So this is a separate thing. So I'm wondering if this is meant to be a solo gaming experience that's based around that. So I'm intrigued to, to see more about it. I guess we'll find out. In but I don't have any other exciting news for you, I'm afraid. All right. I've got some news about a D&D documentary. Go on then. So Hasbro is producing one. Yes. An official D&D documentary, mm-hmm. and it's going to be directed by Joe Manganelli- Manganiello, the actor from True Blood and... Um, I think it's Manganello. Uh, Manganello. Manganello. Okay. Uh, uh, the actor from True Blood and from the... Uh, Magic the Mike. Magic Mike. I mean, and casual response. Filmmaker Kyle Newman... Uh, and this is going to be time to release with 2024's 50th anniversary of D&D. That's good timing. Yeah. And they've got over 400 hours of footage going back to the 1970s, much of which has never been seen before. And also I assume they're going to edit that down, so it's not going to be 400 hours. No, it's going to be 400 hours of solid <laughs> footage. You have to sit there and Great. watch it all. It's like a 400-hour-long actual play. <laughs> so also, there's going to be interviews. It says interviews with celebrity fans. Now, I wasn't sure whether that means it's celebrities who are fans of D&D or whether that's fans of celebrities. I think I it's, it's celebrities who are fans of D&D. Because there's, there's lots yes. of them. There's lots. Yes. I think it goes really well because actors like playing a bit of D&D because it's that mm. playing pretend yeah, element yeah. of it. Also involved is John Peterson, who's author of Playing at the World. He's a D&D historian. Oh, I think so he's, an he's RPG historian, too. so not just, just Dungeons & Dragons. They, they know I think he knows about all the RPGs. Well, not every single all one, but, the RPGs. but more all than just them. D&D. All of them. I'm sure they could tell you a lot about Pathfinder and et cetera, et cetera. Possibly. I think but so. it's not the only documentary in town, though. So earlier this year, yeah. a documentary called Role Players was announced, which also yeah. apparently includes never-seen-before footage and celebrity interviews. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's the same never seen before footage and the same celebrity interviews or whether it's different footage and different interviews. I but it'd be different. Yeah. So there's two. There's two of these things. But one of them's officially produced by Hasbro. Mm. So that's going to be a yeah, sort of big kind of more lavish one, yeah. I suppose. I always get a bit anxious. I feel okay about these ones because I think it'll be done right. But I always used to feel a bit anxious about documentaries, about geek culture or things like that because I'm just worried about the way it's going to be presented. But it's being made by someone yeah. to promote their own game. Yeah, I mean, so it's gonna, Hasbro it's gonna isn't, isn't going to be. But his, I think I feel this one will be fine. But historically, I've always felt a bit like, I think like oh, look at these weird nerds in a basement, you know, like mm. attitude. And because things like that do become a reference point for people. It's like so many mm. people that I speak to about what I do for work that aren't in the hobby. Uh, they'll be like, mm. oh, yeah, like they played on The Big Bang Theory or something like that. So they these mm. do work as like reference points for people. Yeah, so you want it to be a yeah. positive... Representation, but I think this one by Hasbro will be because it's them trying to say, "Hey, isn't this cool? Really, celebrities, you should play D and D too." Which I imagine mm. will be the the takeaway from the documentary. Yeah. yeah. Um, Sue, so I got my copy of Utopia Planitia, Planitia, Planitia from Modifius today. I don't know much about this that. What's the Starship Construction Manual for Star Trek Adventures? Okay. 
Okay, so that's not the news. The news isn't that I got a book that I bought. Oh, I thought that was, that was news. It was news, I mean, that is, it was that news, news to me. me. Great. It's news to me. Yes. Um, but I've got, like, you know, this is a sweet spot for me, like Star Trek construction manuals. Like the original FASA Star Trek construction manual for Star Trek in the 80s, I got like three copies of for some reason. And I wrote my own one for what's old is new. So yep. I, it's basically Starship porn for me. Building Starships. Love it. There you go. But that's not the news. That's not the news. That's not the news? No, it's not the news. What the is news the news? Is that Star Trek Adventures is now available on Fantasy Grants. Ah, cool. So if you wish to play Star Trek Adventures on Fantasy Grounds, you can now do so. It looks very nice. The displays all look like, you know, the Star Trek The Next Generation computer displays. I forgot what they're called. Hell cars or whatever they're called. Yeah. But you know what? You know the sort of layout it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it all looks like that. It all looks so pretty. It all looks like a Star Trek Next Generation computer display. All very pretty. And basically it's done by Smiteworks in-house, producers of Fantasy Grounds Mm -hmm. in sort of partnership with Modivius. And, um, yeah, it's all the core rules. Um, uses the 2D20 system, same as they're using Dune and Fallout. Yep, yep. Obviously, the game itself has been out for years now, but this is the first... I don't know if it's on Roll20 or not, but definitely... I, definitely I think it is on Roll20, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's nice if you're yeah. playing it online. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. I think so many people have started playing online because of COVID and stuff. Their, their gaming groups are still online, so it's. Mm. I think a lot of people still play that way. Mm. That'll make it easier. Yeah. I have some other news going back to Go video games or computer games. More video games. games? Yeah, this is... I, boy, have I got news about video games for you this week. I've got two bits of news for you about it. It's what I spent my time in Spain doing, uh, looking at video game RPGs. Uh, so, okay. have you played Assassin's Creed? No. Yeah? No. No. Okay, well, no. one, perhaps you should, because it's very good fun. Uh, but they're making a tabletop RPG based off the Assassin's Creed franchise. Oh, yeah, so pretty much in the tabletop game. So people that know the story, you you basically are going back in time in history to do various things. You jump around cool buildings and you get to be really cool and you look at loads of different historical settings and they're done in like quite a lot of detail. But yeah, so the ta- in the tabletop game for the RPG, you're going to create a modern day character and it's called a descendant. And then through this special technology, you are taken back in time to relive the lives of your ancestors in different time periods. Mm. Um, and I think that's a really cool idea for an rpg because you'll get to play kind of different characters and stories in different settings and so it makes sense i can see it working okay and the lead designer is francesco nepatello who designed the one ring oh he did one ring didn't yeah. He? yeah yeah so yeah. this is gonna be good uh and it's coming out next year uh 2023 oh. and it's gonna have okay. a line of minis with it as well who's producing this cool mini or not ah guillotine press guillotine, no Gu- oh yeah guillotine press who yeah. is owned by cool mini or not yeah yeah but yeah, so I that looks pretty good actually. I quite like the Assassin's Creed world and setting. The story, mm. I mean, the story at the end does get a bit like mm, they had a really cool setup in the first few games, and then it goes a bit meh. But anyway, mm. that's neither here nor there. I think this could work as an RPG, and you can have loads of different setting books. And because they've been so in the games, they're so specific and accurate about historical settings and places. I imagine the RPG will be the same. Mm. So it could be useful for just setting books for different games you're playing, even if you don't make it related to Assassin's Creed. But if you want a really well-detailed look at Rome or, you know, wherever, specific mm. time periods, that could be useful. Okay. And... Is there any more video game news? I have one more piece of video game news. So I arrived okay. with three this week, and this is the third. The third is that Open Sesame Games, which is a great mm-hmm. name, uh, they're announcing a 5e role-playing game based on the Viking strategy video game, Northgard, which Ooh. I have not played. 
Have you played it? No. You don't play any video games. Why am I asking? No. Okay. Anyway, um, so it's got lots of settlement building and stuff like that going on. And the new, so they're adding rules onto the 5e framework so you can create and build like villages and, you know, kind of spaces. So it's going to add stuff to the 5e. So it's going to have a lot of that, almost like building strongholds, but with like villages and and things like that. So it's going to be based around community. So that's kind of the game. They do have a board game that they've made on this, which they kickstarted in 2021, which raised half a million euros. Mm. Uh, and they said they're going to try and integrate it into the board game somehow. Wow. Which I don't... I feel, like it, yeah. I feel like a couple of weeks ago, we had a question where someone asked what video games should be made in tabletop RPGs, and we struggled to answer it. And now suddenly we've got a slew of them that actually are. Yeah, well... Yeah, and Assassin's Creed is a good one, because I actually look for... I don't know Northgard that well, but it sounds interesting... Mm. The board game's done pretty well. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's going to be crowdfunding. The, the the role-playing game's crowdfunding in the first quarter of 2023. And they're planning mm-hmm. on doing at least two books. Okay. So they're committing to that at this point. But yeah, so if you like Northgard, the, either the board game or the digital game, maybe the role-playing game's for you. Mm-hmm. And that is all my news regarding mm-hmm. video games. Okay. Would you like some money? Yeah. Would you like... Well, payday's like tomorrow, so I was hoping that was guaranteed. <laughs> so the money I'm talking about here is Waterdeep money. Oh, the coins, the cool coins. Yes, I was talking about actual money. Oh. <laughs> so these are licensed from Ultra Pro, and uh, these are Dragon Dungeons & Dragons coins from Waterdeep. You get a Platinum Harbour Moon, a Brass Toll, 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 a Platinum Sun, two Gold Dragons, five Copper Nibs, and five silver shards. They look really cool. I can see the image. So one is like a half crescent moon shape. Mm. The other one's like a, a rounded square with a hole in the middle. And the other one looks like a like a squat pillar. Yeah. They are cool. They look really cool. Yeah. So these are due to come out in summer 2023. Looking at being around $85. But there's no price has actually been announced yet. But that's the, that's the, that's the current guess. I imagine you're getting... Are you getting a big box full of loads of them? Uh, I don't know... I think, no, I think you just get, no, you just get that. You get one, two, three, four, five, six, five, yeah, you only get 15 coins. Is that right? 15, 15 coins. coins for 100 Ten. quid? Yeah. No, sir, no. that can't be, maybe it's, it is. Because they're clad sink. Sure. They're not actually yeah. precious Oh, yeah, metals. they're not actual gold and silver, no, no. Well. You don't actually get actual platinum. Well, I may look to get them. I, we use a lot of coins in my role-playing games, and my GM did this thing in another game. Do you know the Dresden Files? I'm aware of the Dresden Files. Okay, so in the Dresden Files, spoilers ahead if you've not read the books and would like to, there are these, yeah, yes, but there are these bad guys who have these coins, which basically, if you touch them, turn you evil, is a really good, Mm. is a good summary of it. Uh, But they, they, and they're meant to be like, I think they're meant to be like the the silver coins that that Judas was given or something, so that's why they're cut away. But anyway, the point is, that idea was put in my GM's mind, and so he did that in a game. He had some coins in a bag and just handed them out to us. So we're like, great, these are just cool props. No, mm. no, the people that touched some of these evil coins suddenly found out they were working at the party and had loads of stuff like that. Uh, and so now whenever he has any coin props in any game, everyone is like, don't touch anything! And it's just a fun thing. So I might buy them for that purpose. And I'd invite you to that in your games as well, just to add paranoia. Speaking of being paranoid about coins, this is mm. my attempt at a segue. Paranoia. <laughs> How do you like it? Paranoia. Perfect edition. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. <laughs> that was awful. Oh, okay, I did paranoia. my best. Go on. Go on. So, Paranoia Perfect Edition. 
So Paranoia mm-hmm. is a tabletop RPG that we all love with our friend Computer. But Mongoose Publishing have officially announced the Paranoia Perfect Edition is coming to Kickstarter in October 20th. Yes, but we've known about like it. ages ago. Yes. Yeah. So um, Mongoose... Like July or something. Yes. Mongoose have said, um, this is our worst kept secret. To the point where I, yeah, I have interviewed WJ McGuffin on our show for Not D&D in July. <laughs> So if you'd like to know a bit more about it, we have an hour-long show okay. where we've talked uh, to them about it already. So, so they kept the secret by talking publicly on the internet in a live interview. It's, yeah, I mean, it's not been officially announced, but they have been talking about it, and people know that right, it's been okay. coming along. Okay. So pretty much, yeah, they're, they're bringing it out, and they're just doing upgrades to it, because some people were unhappy with some of the stuff in Paranoia Red Clearance Edition, and they've basically listen to the community feedback and they've kind of updated and changed it in that way but as i was about to say if you want to hear about that in more detail there's an hour-long interview i did um on not D. Mm-hmm. you can listen to the podcast for if you just look if you just search not D, um paranoia it'll, it'll come up mm-hmm. there um but that was back in july but yeah it's coming to kickstarter on the 28th of october so if, if you like paranoia and want to get the, the latest version of it it's all, it's all up on there mm-hmm. and the notification page is actually live now so i'm sure daryl yeah. can Put that in the show notes for you to click and have a look at. So if you want to be notified when it goes live, it'll be there. So how would you like to play a Korean 5e adventure? I need more details. So this is an adventure, half, the D&D 5th edition, mm-hmm. levels 1 to 17, contains over 20 dungeons, 60 new monsters, new ancestries and more. And you play supernatural hunters called to exercise a demon from a noble's wife. And that's just the start. That's where it starts. That's a lot. It's a Korean folklore-inspired adventure path from a team of um, Asian creators. Oh, cool. That's Over good. 400 pages. There's a free preview, and it's on Kickstarter now. Oh, nice. Um, and it, it looks really cool. It does look very, very cool. That does sound good. It does sound good, yes. It does How sound much very is it? Good. So um, this is from Nine Heavens Press, their first Kickstarter. Uh, you can grab a PDF for $30. Oh, that's or you good. Or $60, you can get the hardcover. That's quite reasonable prices for a book that size. Well, one of the things that's like jumped out with me on this is the art. So there's a mix of art. Mm-hmm. So we've got some realistic style art, but we've also got a lot of cartoon style art as well. What's it called? Let me have a look at it. What's the name again? It is called Undying Corruption, a Korean 5e adventure. That's a good title. It is a good title. Mm-hmm. I think that would definitely tell you what was in the team. Oh, yeah, the artwork is interesting. It's a bit... Yeah. Almost, it's not quite anime but it has that vibe anime yes yeah it's not it's yeah. not an anime style but it's yeah but yeah i'm i'm tempted very tempted with this one yeah but there are a whole bunch of interesting looking kickstarters this week to be honest they've got an add-on tier so you can pledge for a dollar and kind of decide later if you want to yeah so i might do that on this one to be honest it's yeah it's, it's a way to do it so uh another one that's jumped out at me mm-hmm which I thought looked pretty interesting, mm-hmm. was 12 Deaths Till Deepest Night. And this is an RPG for two people. And your character died under mysterious circumstances and you have to investigate your character's death. So it's played as a duet, one player and one GM. And you have supernatural powers which help you in your investigation. And it's a PDF, uh, a D6 dice pool game. It's got mm-hmm. a week left to go. Um, it's just a, it's just a little Kickstarter. It's not a, it's not a great big one, but um, it has funded. Oh, excellent! And yeah, and you can pick it up for ten dollars, and that does look really fun to me. Nice. I have a Kickstarter as well that's caught my eye. Mm. It's kind of kind of get yeah. I guess it's okay. Anyway, it's the Session Zero system. 
So it's a game designed to help you designed to help you build backstories and connections with others at your table before mm-hmm. you go into your campaign or adventure. Okay. Uh, and it looks really great. So it's about so it's it's full kind of storytelling games. So it's designed so you could use this before you're doing a big campaign to help you build characters and and do things mm. like that. Um, it also has loads of safety tools in as well. Um, so, you know, it's got quick reference guides for GMs and players. Uh, it's, it's got loads of cool stuff. And it's got these cool cards with it, as well as the book. There's digital versions. There's amazing art. They've stolen my name. I, I've been thinking about making a 5e sort of starter thing called Session Zero for ages. Which basically is a structured game, which basically does your session zero for you, but you're playing the game. That's what this is. You... They beat yeah. you to it. They... Yeah. And to be honest, Ross, they've done a really good job of it. So I don't know if I you need, need to, to bother. It, sure. um, <laughs> okay. but it looks really great. And the prices are really, really good as well. Like the digital version is just $10. Mm. And that's the whole, everything you need to play. So it's, it's everything there for just $10. So mm. really reasonable. And then they've obviously they've got the pretty community art book versions and the physical ones that are like but even they're like going up to like forty five dollars, thirty five dollars. So it's not a huge you know, there's higher pledges obviously we can get all the shiny stuff, but mm. it's really reasonably priced. It looks really good. But yeah, I I would definitely recommend this. Oh, it does look cool. That does look very cool. Yeah, I've not watched the video yet, but the video does look very cool. And yeah, so it looks really good. Hey, we've got a Kickstarter running right now. We do. We do. It's Halloween one. It's a spooky, is spooky, spooky, spooky one. Spooky Halloween. So I kind of set it up ready to go before we went. And then near the day, you kind of had a little edit and tweak, some last minute fancying touches, mm. and then launched it. And then I came back and it had already funded. So it was great. Yes. <laughs> Which is always nice. Um, but yeah, so it's Halloween, Terrible Treasures and Frightful Fables. Um, so basically, it's got a whole load of cool creepy magic items so it's good for halloween or just if you want to do a horror sort of game so it's Mm. got my favorite bit about it is these five magical masks that come in they look like monstrous creepy kind of masks and um when you're character any any character you're wearing one right now as well just no this is just my face um (laughs) sorry i just came back from holiday give me a break give me a break um (laughs) but yeah i create a monstrous creature's visage and um you can be like any level or class to wear them uh, and some of them give you cool powers, but there's like a bit of a price with them, so it's quite nice of that. As well as a whole load of magic items you can use, and then the main bit, and then there's GM advice on how to run kind of gothic horror adventures, because sometimes it's quite difficult to, to run a scary game. And then it's the the main bulk of it is also these two horror theme adventures, and they're in, mm. I picked them because they're two, in two kind of unique different cities, and one mm. has um, a Velociraptor Mummy Lord in it. Ooh. which is on the front cover you can kind of see yeah see that uh but yeah so it's, it looks really cool uh and like i say uh as always with our quick starters uh you'll get it on the 28th uh so you can have it in time so- oh sorry no the 27th you'll get it on the 27th um so if you're planning on doing a, like a halloween thing you'll have it in time to do that for the pdf and then the books a few weeks later do we have some more ttrpg news i think we're done on the news are we done front. Why, hello! A knight in my stables! Tis a rare honour, my lady. Oh, greetings to you, my friend. Uh, I'm here to acquire a new horse, uh, my dear companion Bessie, uh, met with um, an unfortunate accident. Uh, accident, my lady? Well, I, I suppose it was less you know, an, an accident and more a mild stabbing. Oh, no, I do hope Bessie is all right. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, apart from being dead, she's fine. Thank you for asking. Uh, so now, but, uh, about this new steed. 
Oh, I have the perfect mount for you, milady. Behold, isn't she glorious? Um, uh, you know, perhaps I wasn't clear. Clear, milady? I mean, yes, I I, I must apologise. I must have miscommunicated my intent in some way. So I came here in search of a, a horse. Oh, indeed, my lady. So what seems to be the problem? Okay, uh, well, well, this here clearly is not a horse. Yes, it is. Um, no, no, it isn't. Then what is it? Okay, this this is a chicken. And I I need a horse. A chicken? Uh, yes. No, this is definitely a chicken. It's, it's got wings, a beak. I mean, look, it, I mean, it just laid an egg. The horse is not lay eggs. Okay, are you sure that you're a stable hand? Oh, most definitely, my lady. Fully qualified. Got my certificate and everything. Uh, okay, well, okay, well, this chicken will not do. So please, sir, show me a horse. Ah, very well, my lady. I have just the thing. You'll cut quite a figure charging into battle astride this beauty. Uh... Problem, my lady? I mean, you know, I I was clear, wasn't I? Ah, crystal clear, my lady. Okay, so I mean, when I said, you know, I wanted a horse, I was clear. Oh, absolutely, your honour. A horse, you said, and a horse I give you. Okay, see, but but that is not a horse. What do you mean it's not a horse? Okay, so uh, horses stand yay high, four legs, tail. This is a... Uh, a what, your eminence? You know, it's a badger. No, no, it's a horse. Um, young, at stable hand. Uh, so I know a badger when I see one. And I assure you that this is a badger. <sighs> no good, then. What am I supposed to do with a badger? Well, they make excellent pets. I cannot ride a badger into melee. I'll be laughed off the battlefield. Oh, right you are, Your Worship. Okay, okay, I have one last horse to show you. Okay, are you sure? Ah, perfectly sure. If you show me a squirrel, I will behead you on the spot. Oh, no, no, no squirrel, Your Grace. Definitely a horse. Very well, on your head be it. You'll love this mighty steed, and voila! Malak the Maleficent here. If, like me, you're enjoying this podcast, please consider subscribing on Patreon for exclusive bonus content every week and the warm, fuzzy feeling of knowing you are helping to keep the show going. Subscribe at patreon.com slash morris. There, I said it. Can you stop staring at me like that now? The things I do. All right, all right, don't forget... Patreon.com slash Morris. Can I go now? Earlier in the show, we discussed licensed RPGs and whether people played them. And the second half of that question from Kevin Cole was, what makes a license worth pursuing for a publisher? Which I thought was an interesting question and one we could maybe try and answer. Yeah. Well, Ian Publishing has had a licensed product. We had... We have. Judge Dredd in the Worlds of 2018. Yes. Yeah. So licensed products, there's lots and lots and lots of them. There's Star Trek, there's Lord of the Rings, there's Avatar. There's I, I can't even begin to start to list all the licensed products out there. There's so many of them. Any book or TV show or thing you like. Star, yeah. Star Wars. Um, 
Yeah, there's a Game of Thrones one from Green Ronin. I don't know if it's still being published, but there was one definitely. Oh yeah, the house building system in that was really good. Song of Ice and Fire. Yeah, um, so loads, loads and loads of them. So the thing that makes a license useful for a publisher is it comes with a built-in fan base that you don't have to build up yourself. Yes. That That is the main advantage of it. So a license generally works, and obviously these aren't always the same. Every license is different. Mm-hmm. But a license generally works is you pay probably an upfront fee, usually in advance against royalties, and that will vary from maybe a couple of grand up to 20, up to... Um, the rumours were that the, the uh, FFG Star Wars licence was in the region of 100 grand, but I don't know how true that is. Mm-hmm. And that Star Trek was in the region of 20, but again, I don't know how true that is. Yeah. So that's an advance against royalties. That's a if you don't big licence, though. Yeah, mm-hmm. but if you don't make enough royalties to cover that for, for the IP holder, that's kind of like the minimum amount you're going to be paying them. So you pay them in advance mm-hmm. against royalties. It's usually about 10%, but again, that can vary. So 10% of your, of your sales you're going to be paying to the license holder, mm-hmm. uh, IP holder. Um, so that's kind of how those things work. So basically, you're losing 10% of your sales. Which in RPGs is quite a chunk, actually. It is, but generally for a licensed RPG, you can often mm-hmm. charge 10% more because of the value of the license. So it kind yeah. of ends up as a bit of a wash. Um, the question is, what is the advantage to you? So the advantage to you, obviously, is you get a built-in customer base. Yeah. Like like you say, I think some people will just buy games because they're a collector more than they're an Mm. avid role player. Yeah. I mean, as as we said earlier, like, um, it looks like from that Avatar Kickstarter, which made, what, $9 million or something? I can't remember what it was. A a huge amount. Yeah. Um, A lot of those backers weren't gamers. They were Mm. Avatar fans. Yeah. And that's kind of how that worked. It it, it Mm. was more of a collectible item for the fans of the IP. Didn't they have a lot of um, collectible stuff on there as well? It wasn't just yeah, the book tons you of could it. get. Yeah, tons of it. Yeah, so that makes yeah. sense, yeah. 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 And um, of course, the disadvantage with the license is when the license ends, those fans go away too. You don't really tend... You can retain some of them, especially... Yeah. Uh, Modifius does quite well with its 2D20 mm-hmm. system. You can retain some of them. But generally speaking, the fans of that license will move on to wherever the license goes next. And as the publisher, you don't always have control as when, if a license is being renewed or not. Yeah. I mean, you know what the terms of your license are and how long it will last for. So that's guaranteed. Is, yeah. You know, like, yeah, it's probably yeah. three years or five years or yeah. something like that. Probably three years or whatever. Um, but you don't know what will happen after those three years. Yeah. And all the branding work and all the marketing you do for those three years or five years, the IP holder benefits from that, not you. Yeah. Because you don't retain the benefit of that once the license moves on. All the branding, all the all the following that you developed moves on with it. Well, that's kind of what happened with us with Judge Dredd and the World. That's kind of how it works, yeah. They... Look, at one, look at the One Ring. That's exactly what's happened with them yeah. as well. So mm-hmm. Cubicle 7 made the One Ring, built up the name, built up the marketing for mm-hmm. it, and um, now Free League have it. And of course, yeah. Free League have done even better with marketing, I guess, because they did like a million dollar, two million dollar Kickstarter, didn't they? Yeah. So they've done really well with it. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So yeah, so there's, there's positives to it, but... It does mean for a business, there is like an admin element to it because it does mean with your mm. sales, you have to go through and work out for each line by line what you have and the percentage yeah. of that. And 10% is a big chunk. If you think about when for role-playing games, if you sell to um, a retail store, you sell that at like 50% off mm. or if you sell it to a distributor. So already that's half of it gone. And mm. then you take 10% off that goes to them. And then if you mm. think you've got all the all the other costs associated with all the other bits and pieces. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It can up, make yeah. the margins 
not great and you have to bank on going for volume. Yeah. And of course you can't always tell how well a license will do. No. Like Lord of the Rings you would think would be a massive one and a Star Wars you'd think would be a massive one. Judge Dredd, we didn't really know before we went into it how mm-hmm. well it would do. Mm-hmm. We didn't really have any particular way to gauge that. Um, something like Avatar, I think, surprised everyone by how well it did. Yeah. Even though Avatar's massive. It yeah, is a yeah, massive yeah. IP. I still think it surprised everyone by how well it did on Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, but it is hard. And have you seen the Monty Python one? I have. It's coming. Well, have you seen the number of backers waiting for it? Yeah, and interestingly, that was um, that was delayed. It was meant to Has go it been out. delayed? The, the Kickstarter expected launch date, I think it was meant to be happening around now, and I think, it, oh. I think it's been moved back, which happens sometimes. But this, and I don't know why, because mm-hmm. they haven't said anything, but one thing about having a license thing as well, it can really slow down the production of an RPG because you have to get somebody to approve it. Yeah. If you're using their license, they want to check you've not written... 11,324 people following that so far. Well, that's going to be several million pounds. That's going to do really, really well, I think. It is. Yeah. But um, I think it was the launch... Because I think it was meant to launch around about now, but it's been moved back like a week or so. Mm. I don't know why. But one reason could be to do with uh, it needs to be reviewed by someone, that the license holder, because we had that... From, from my experience, when you have a license, you, you write the thing and then you have to send it to people with the IP so they can read it and check that you're representing their product correctly and then you're not mm. writing something that is not canonical or et cetera, et cetera. And mm. so that just takes a little bit more extra time because really because you've got to send it to somebody, they've got to read it, they've got to review it, mm. fit it in their schedule, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, that very much depends on the company. Yeah. I mean, I've heard that working with Star Wars is a much higher admin overhead than, for example, we probably had with Judge Dredd. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's... Yeah. Um, so, and also, when a, a company that's licensing something to you... I mean, we didn't have this experience, but I have heard stories mm-hmm. of companies that don't really know what an RPG is. You know, yeah. they just license lunchboxes, and they license yeah. pencil cases, and they license T-shirts, and they license this, that, and the other. And their licensing department doesn't necessarily really know what all those things necessarily are. Mm-hmm. Well, they know what a lunchbox is, but they don't <laughs> necessarily know what a, what a, what a role-playing game They is. don't need to know the intricacies of the lunchbox industry mm. in order to approve it. Mm. Exactly. And, of course, from a um, license or's point of view, they might not necessarily understand what the RPG market is like or the size of it, yeah. or, you know, it's, what, what, what it's expected returns. Yeah, yeah. Because RPGs are still, even though the hobby is growing so much, and, you know, if you're listening to this, you're probably like, hmm, me and all my friends like RPGs. It seems quite popular. Like, it's mm. still niche in, in general um, in terms of other industries, and so yeah. it's going to be a smaller revenue bringer for mm. um, for most licensed things. Yeah. But a decent license mm-hmm. can... You know, it does a lot of the marketing for you mm-hmm. just by virtue of existing, and you can do you can do very well with a decent license, mm-hmm. as we've seen. We've seen Blade Runner do really well. We've seen um, yeah. Lord of the Rings do really well. We've seen loads. Mm-hmm. Avatar obviously did really really well. So Star Wars is a very popular game. We've never seen it on Kickstarter or anything, but it's pop. It's definitely yeah. you know up there. Well, that's the thing as well. I think some licenses won't allow you to do a Kickstarter as well. As part yeah, of the some licenses license wars. Won't allow you to do that. So, so it's, but, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. So we've got the Marvel. I'm thinking of upcoming licenses. We've got the Marvel licensed mm-hmm. game coming this year. Or is it next year? It's next year, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the thing we've got a Judge Dread one, 
I think Rebellion are doing it in-house now. Yeah, they're doing it in-house. Star Trek yeah. is Modifius. Star Wars is Edge Studios with FFG. Middle-earth is The One Ring. Aliens is Free League. Yes. Um, oh, they're coming on Not D&D on October 31st. Yeah. As our little Halloween horror RPG collection. Yeah, yeah. So probably worth asking them about that because they've done a few licenses. Yeah. Say, you know, what, what do you think about licenses and what makes for a good license and what benefits does that bring? I'll ask. Yeah, why not? Cool. Why not? Put it on my list. So if you'd like to hear the full answer to this question, please tune in <laughs> to Not D&D on August 31st. Yeah. Yeah. What else, what else can we say about licenses? What makes a license worth pursuing for a publisher? How do you How do you get a license? Okay. so you Because I wasn't with the company when when you first got the license with Rebellion. Oh, okay. Well, they're in vending machines. Um, you just uh, go down the street and you just put like a, a quid in a vending machine and you get a random license out and then you get to produce a game based on that. That's how that works. Totally true. I'm not dying at all. <laughs> I'm just waiting for you to be done. All right. Okay. <laughs> so you approach the company and you basically you just approach the company and you ask them. Um, you'll probably have a meeting with them of some kind. Um, you may have to put some kind of presentation describing to them what an RPG is or not. You'll probably have to like give them some figures, projections, um, tell them what they can expect, um, hash out some terms, which tend to be fairly standard, but hash mm-hmm. out a few terms like the royalty rate, uh, the length of the license, um, what uh, what you access you actually have, because you might not they might not give you access to the whole of their IP. They might just say, okay, you just have access to this this and set character. of books, but not these, yeah. or this character and not that, or something like that. So you arrange all that. Um, if that all goes well, you sign a contract and you're away, basically. Mm-hmm. I, it will vary so much from company to company. Like, I imagine negotiating Star Wars was lots of meetings and lots of projections and lots of presentations and lots of, you know, lots of lawyers present and things yeah. like that. Whereas, um, I imagine with a much, much smaller license, like the sort of things that I've been involved with, it's just like a one meeting in a room in an office somewhere for about 45 minutes and you're done. It's odd, because like you say, a lot of these people aren't role players, so they... It's hard to gauge. It's purely a business decision opposed to mm. them being like, these people make really good role-playing yeah. games, so it's going to be... But the larger player. companies will have a licensing department. Yeah. Which basically does that all the time. Mm-hmm. And basically all they're really looking for is, A, does that serve the brand well? Mm-hmm. It's not going to make us look bad yeah. or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And B, um, is it going to give us a return? But also one of the other things that uh, for a license, or even if a property isn't necessarily going to give a big return, it's having a wide portfolio of licensed products also increases value to their brand. So even if some of those licensed products aren't, you know, making an awful lot of money, they're still adding to the portfolio and they want a big, wide spectrum portfolio, which basically if they're selling something or they're promoting something, doing something, they can show investors or whatever, look at all of these licensed, you know. So that and all the different you know, pies with our fingers in. We're in comics and we're in books and we're in lunchboxes and we're in t-shirts and we're in role-playing games, whatever they are. And we're in, you know, uh, and they do that sort of thing. Fair enough. Yeah. What else should we say? I don't know. I don't, I don't really know. <laughs> um, yeah. Are there any licenses that you would like to see that don't exist? I I was just thinking, you know, port the Portal... You probably don't actually want to say this, but Portal, the video game. I'm aware of it. Yeah. I don't know if there is okay. one. Let me look it up. I don't think there is. I'm almost sure there isn't, in fact. I cannot see one, but I think it's cool. Just because I like GLaDOS, 
And I mm. think she's such uh, be easy to make her like the GM of things, and you can mm. make it like a puzzle RPG. Like in mm. you know in the way in the Dungeon Devil's Guide we've looked at like traps and puzzles and how you do that. If you had some sort of interesting puzzle, system. especially especially a dungeon. Um, yeah, setup, like kind it? of yeah. yeah, but you have to think with physics and portals and things. Mm. Think with portals. Uh, but I just think Glass Glados is an iconic villain anyway, and she's great. Mm. And I'd love to be a GM just. Yeah, Fair enough. That. but I don't know Fair how that works because it's generally a solo game, and if you have a team of people, it gets more complicated. So yeah, yeah, you'd have it's to a, enlarge it. In it's some a way, tough one you? to do, but I think I think it's interesting. You can enlarge it more to a general, general sort of like what's that? The cube and other types of sort of sci-fi-ish mazes and yeah, catacombs and labyrinths and stuff like that, and do different ones. For testing. Yeah. Okay. I think we've probably covered the <laughs> topic as best we can. Thank you, Kevin. I can't Kevin. think of an awful lot else to say. If you have a license and you want Ian Publishing to, to make a game for it, you know, send it to the If you If you are in the licensing department for, you know, Portal, Portal <laughs> hit me up. I've got ideas. All right, then. I think we're done. Yeah. Apparently, I now have to read this to you. This is the official podcast of Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG news, which you can find at enworld.org. You can find show notes at morris.podbean.com or wherever you found the podcast. If you feel like they deserve it, you can support the show on Patreon. In return, you will receive exclusive bonus content. Just go to patreon.com slash morris. If you're interested in his babbling nonsense, you can follow at Morris on the Twitter. Send your emails to morrispodcast at gmail.com. Not all of your emails, just the ones you want us to see. That's it. I'm bored now. You can go away. Shoo, off you go. Goodbye. Get out of here. Then what is it? Okay, this, this is a chicken. And I, I need a horse. <laughs> Are you laughing at your own joke? <laughs> Am I just bringing it to life in a way that yes. you never imagined? Yeah. Okay.